Oh, it's awesome to be back at Ocean City Church. It's been a while. Um, it's exciting to see how much you guys have grown. Um, exciting to see new space getting built out and everything. Um, thanks. Thanks for the warm opportunity. Um, this morning, I, I wanted to start with a, a little story. So a lot of you don't know me, and so I just I want to I give you a little peek into who I am, just a little bit, in that I am a guy who likes musicals, okay? <laughs> totally cool with that. I am totally cool with that. I will accept it. Um, I don't know why. I honestly, I think, I think it's because I'm emotionally stunted, and so having a story with the emotion of, of songs helps me connect better with it. I don't know. Maybe that's it, but or I'm just making an excuse for why I love musicals. But uh, so I had an opportunity before the pandemic, uh, we had an opportunity to see uh, one of my favorites is Wicked. And um, I have a picture here of our family. This is me. Uh, no, uh, that's not my, that wasn't my family. That's my family. Yes. And so we, we got to see uh, Wicked in uh, London with my sister and my nephew and nieces and my kids. And it was awesome. And if you don't know the story of Wicked, it's the story of the Wizard of Oz, which hopefully people know. It's the story of the Wizard of Oz, but it's told from a different perspective. It's told from the perspective of uh, the wicked, the quote, wicked witch. And it kind of challenges your perspective on the Wizard of Oz. And there's this opening scene, which I want to show, which shows like the, the Emerald City. And it's all this beautiful you know, green things. And this is the beginning of the musical. And, you know, the music comes on and it's awesome. And I had this like weird uh, memory when this scene came on. I've seen, the, I've seen it before, but this time I remembered, I read this book when my son was little. I read The Wizard of Oz to him. And I remember there was this weird thing about The Wizard of Oz. The Emerald City, this beautiful green thing that you see on the, on the stage it's not actually in the book. In the book, what happens is when, whenever they come to the, quote, Emerald City, they would put these glasses on everyone. They would put these spectacles on. They had to wear the spectacles as they came into the city because the wizard wanted to create the illusion of an Emerald City. And so there's these weird illustrations from the original book of them wearing the spectacles. I like, look at the next one. I like the dog. I, I just love that the dog, even the dog, because there was this shared illusion that the wizard was creating that he wanted them to see. And in order to keep that, they had to wear these glasses. And you're like, oh, well, that's not much of a, a revelation. But, but imagine two people trying to have a conversation and they're both wearing different tinted lenses. They're both wearing different tinted spectacles. No, 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 that building is clearly green. No, 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 that, that, that building is clearly brown. You see the difference? The spectacles that we wear, the lenses that we wear, it's, it's, it, it changes our perception of reality. And it makes it impossible to, to be able to agree on facts and, and the things that we are actually perceiving around us. That we all have this limited perspective, right? We all have this limited perspective on how we see each other, how we see the world. And these limitations, they, they, make, it, they make it hard for us to love the way that Jesus loves. These limitations make it hard for us to, 
to, to do the things that we see Jesus doing, the way that he loved people. And I don't, I don't know that we'll ever be free of spectacles, but, but Jesus has given us a model for how we can challenge those lenses that we wear, how we can challenge it to be able to love people beyond that. So that's what I wanna talk about this morning. So let me pray. God, thank you uh, for the opportunity to uh, meet with you this morning. Holy Spirit, use uh, my words. Use them to comfort those this morning that need to be comforted and to discomfort those of us that need to be discomforted. Holy Spirit, free us. Free us to love people the way that you love people. Amen. So I'm gonna share, I'm gonna share some stories uh, of Jesus and I'm not gonna do them justice, okay? Any one of these stories is a sermon all to its own, but I just wanna look at it from the perspective of how Jesus kind of addresses this issue of, of, of people's limited perspectives and the lenses that people wear, uh, the spectacles that we, that we uh, maybe don't even realize that we wear and how he challenges it. And so the first one comes from uh, Luke. And so Luke is one of the writers of the New Testament and he sets out, he meets with eyewitnesses to, uh, to get an order, he calls it an orderly account of everything that Jesus did in his ministry. And so Luke puts together this uh, investigation in the book that we call the Gospel of Luke. And in chapter 19, verses one through 10, it says this, Jesus entered into Jericho and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, and since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this, and they began to mutter. He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus didn't want to be in that crowd. He didn't feel like he could, right? Like he was a tax collector and he, he didn't want to be with all these other Jesus followers. He would have felt like a hypocrite or he, would have, he, 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 he might have been beat up. <laughs> he was already a short man, so he had that, you know, working against him. He didn't, he couldn't be there. <laughs> Are there short people here? <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone. Well, maybe, okay. Uh, so he, Zacchaeus is in this predicament where he's like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna climb up in a tree and that's how I'm gonna get a look at Jesus. But Jesus doesn't let him do that and he calls him out. And people were in, indignant. They were grumped, Eugene Peterson in his, uh, in his translation in Luke, he says that they grumped. I love that. I've never heard that word before. They grumped. When did you grump in the last 24 months? What did you see that you grumped at? When Jesus ate with him, he was saying, I want to be in community with you, Zacchaeus. I know you don't want to be around all these people because you feel... Uh, that you've been excluded, that you feel that you can't be a part of it. I want to eat with you. I want to be part of your community. I want you to bring, bring you into this fold. And people were upset 
Because through their lenses, they're like, Jesus, no, 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 no. You don't know who that is. I know you're son of God and Messiah and all that kind of cool stuff, but you don't know who that guy is. He's a chief tax collector, chief tax collector. So you can imagine tax collectors are not liked in general, right? Like, I'm sorry if any of you are for the IRS, but you're probably not liked. Like, I'm sure you're a perfectly fine person, but people don't like you um, if they just know you as a tax person. But it was worse back then because to be a tax collector, for, for him, he was Jewish and yet he worked for the Roman government, literally. He was, he was Jewish, but he was considered a traitor to his people. The Roman government comes in and oppresses the Jewish people. And Zacchaeus chooses to be a part of that oppression. And he would go, and the way that they made money was when they, they collected their taxes, they collected a little extra for themselves. This was what Zacchaeus did. And people knew that. So there would have been people in the crowd that he had probably taken advantage of. There would have been people in the crowd that he would have exploited, that he would have uh, exercised some dishonest behavior. And not only was he a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector, which means that he had more tax collectors that he worked with that he would actually send out to collect the taxes from other people. Do you see how offensive that would be? And so Jesus is walking around. He's got all these disciples, all these people that are following him, all these people that love his teaching. And what does he do? He chooses Zacchaeus. They would have been mad, grumped. They would have grumped. Jesus, don't you see he's wrong? This guy, is a, he, he's a traitor. He's, be, he's betrayed his people. They would have felt justified right? They would have felt justified in their hate for this guy. Like, really? Jesus, come on. Messiah, you should know this. I can show you chapter. I can show you verse of why you shouldn't be having a meal with this guy. Make no mistake. Zacchaeus, he was a dishonest person. He was a traitor. He chose a selfish lifestyle that he betrayed his people but Jesus' love for him didn't somehow validate his poor choices. Jesus wasn't validating him as a tax collector. He was loving him as a person. He didn't validate his sin. In fact, Jesus' kindness actually led Zacchaeus to change. By the end of the story, Zacchaeus is like, I, I-, I want to give people their money back. I, I-, I want to make things right. But Jesus' kindness wasn't contingent on that. Jesus' love wasn't contingent on what he did with that. In fact, you will not find a single example of Jesus where he is so disgusted, that he is so scandalized by someone's moral behavior that he writes them off. Nobody, nobody, you're not gonna find anybody that Jesus was like, oh, this person I can't be seen with. This person, I can't express love for. This person, I can't find common ground that I can't tell them that they are loved by their creator. No one. Jesus was revealing the good news, what we call the good news of a new commandment that he was giving people to love people, to love them in spite of anything, in spite of what they've done, in spite of whether they're right or whether they're wrong or whether you think they're right or whether you think they're wrong, 
love people. And the good news is that God is making a way for us to do that. And Jesus was the tip of the spear. (laughs) He was the tip of the spear of a rescue effort that God was on to rescue his people and to make a way for us to do that. There is no one, there's no one so far off that God has given up on them. There's no one so far off that they can't be rescued. Jesus liberates people. He doesn't crush them. How many of us have felt morally superior? Oh, 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 this person, this person, he does not know this verse. I'm gonna tell, oh man, I've got an article to send you. Right? How many of us have, have felt righteous? How many of us have felt like we had the higher moral ground? Right? In this more divisive culture that we find ourselves in. How many of us have felt justified in our, I don't want to say hate, because I don't think anybody would say hate. But we've definitely had this moral high ground that we felt. But the gospel is the great equalizer, that we're all equally lost. We're all equally in need of being rescued. And the gospel leaves no room for us to feel superior. Okay, back to Zacchaeus. Who did they see? Who did they see? Through their lens, they saw a tax collector. They saw a traitor. They saw a sinner. They saw a pawn of an oppressive pagan government. Absolutely true. But who did Jesus see? Jesus saw a broken man in need of rescue. We all have a limited perspective in what we see. And that, those limitations make it hard for us to love the way that Jesus loves. Another example. It's like they, they get more offensive as they go. Another example. This guy, coincidentally, was a tax collector. Matthew was one of Jesus' original disciples. Jesus called him from being a tax collector and said, come and follow me. And Matthew records in his account of Jesus' life, in chapter eight, verses five through 10, he says this. He says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. A Roman centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my, servants, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering, ter- suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed And he said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Okay, okay. Let's just back up for just one second before we get into that little number. A a Roman centurion. Okay, this is not just a Roman soldier. This is a guy who would have been in charge of 80 to 100 other soldiers. And that doesn't mean because he graduated from college, right? You don't become a centurion by going to to West Point, okay? You become a centurion by winning battles for a pagan 
oppressive government. This is, who the, this, is the centurion that, that Jesus is interacting with. And so imagine, oh, come on, we're all following Jesus. Oh, this is awesome. Love, yeah, love your enemies. Love the stuff you're teaching, Jesus. Good stuff. And then he comes up to this centurion and he says this, I have not found anyone in Israel. These guys, <laughs> I haven't found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Do you think they were offended? Whoa. Do you think maybe they grumped? <laughs> Didn't say they grumped. I think they grumped. This is what I call holy discomfort. <laughs> they were like, wait a minute. What about my lenses that am I not seeing this guy the way that Jesus sees this guy? How is it that I am so disconnected from the way that he's interacting with this guy? This man literally, literally personifies the strength and the violence of the Roman government. So much stuff, man, I wish I could go into. Like, I did all this, like, how bad was the government? Like, how bad was the Roman Empire? It was bad, okay? <laughs> like, it was, it, was, it was really bad. Um, when, when I say a pagan, I'm, like, no, I'm not just throwing that out. Like, it was a pagan, it was a, a pagan government, and they did horrible, horrible things. So whenever anybody talks about how bad it is here, it wasn't pagan Roman government bad. Trust me. Okay, nowhere in the world, very probably very few places in the world could be as bad as that, that government that this man represented. And then Jesus says that. It's almost like he's messing with them, right? It's almost like he's poking them to say, hey, remember, remember when I said, love your enemies? And you guys said, amen, let's go to lunch. Remember that? This is what it looks like. Now he shows them how offensive, how offensive. Who's the Roman centurion in your life? Who's the Roman centurion in your life? If you saw Jesus say something nice about this person, that it would offend you. Who is it that it would make you uncomfortable to hear Jesus say something like that? Trump, Biden, a white supremacist, Nancy Pelosi, a gay advocate, an anti-gay advocate, a Muslim. Who is it that if Jesus were to say to that person, man, what great faith you have, that it would offend you? that it would make you uncomfortable, that it would challenge, it would challenge my view of the world. It would challenge everything that I see. There's a famous story at the height of the Cold War, right? Like when everyone's scared of the Russians and they're scared of what's gonna happen. Billy Graham, against everyone's advice, visits Russia to meet with their political and religious leaders. And when he came back, Somebody accused him. They said, look, you've set the church back 50 years in this trip. And Billy Graham responded. He said, I am deeply ashamed. I've been trying very hard to set the church back 2,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's, there's so much truth to that. It challenged everyone. They were like, whoa, wait, you just met with the Ruskies? You can't do that. They're communist, man. 
Trust me, they're, not, they're bad. They're, they're much worse than the pagans that, that poor Jesus had to deal with, right? Billy Graham's like, no, man, they're broken in need of the good news of what God has done for them in Jesus. Okay, back to the Roman centurion. Who did they see? They saw a violent oppressor. They saw a representative of a pagan government. And who did Jesus see? A broken man in need of rescue. We all have that limited perspective. We all see through these lenses and these limitations make it hard for us to love the way that Jesus loves. Okay, last one, last one. So God reveals himself to the people of Israel. And, you know, the whole Old Testament is the account of what happened with them. But what, basically what happens is the, the, the people of God, they fracture themselves into 12 tribes. And then those 12 tribes form into two different nations. And they form into two different nations and, 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 they're, and they're divided and they're uh, ripe to be conquered. And sure enough, the Assyrians come and they conquer them. But some of the Jews, they remain with the conquerors. The Assyrians that conquered them, some of the Jews actually stayed with them and they became uh, the Samaritans. And so the story that we're about to look at talks about a Samaritan. And so just some of that backstory, think about, as you hear the story, think about the Samaritans. They would have been sellouts, right? They intermarried with the, with the, the people who had conquered their nation they had gone back on their teaching about there's one God, Yahweh, and they're interacting with these guys. They're no longer worthy of a Jewish title. So the Jews, understandably, had, they did not like the Samaritans. They called them dogs. They called them half-breeds. So John is one of Jesus' first disciples, and he's recording in his eyewitness account in chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. I like the way John said it. Now he had to go through Samaria because nobody goes through Samaria if they don't need to, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus goes on to have this deep conversation with a Samaritan woman. And not only does he have this deep conversation with, with, with her, but he reveals himself in a weird kind of Yoda way, but he reveals himself as the Messiah to a Samaritan woman. Samaritans, half-breeds, dogs, rejected by the Jewish community for which he is the Messiah of the Jewish community. And women were, were property. And, and he reveals himself as the Messiah, not to his disciples, not to, to, to these people, but he reveals himself in this interaction. This is crazy. When his disciples return, the verses say that they were, they were surprised they marveled. They were shocked. 
We are so good at dividing ourselves into tribes. We are so good at fracturing ourselves into our little nations. A research group started in 2018. 2018, the good old days, right? And this is what they said. They said our, and this is the secular research. They said, our research concludes that we have become a set of tribes with different codes, values, and even facts. In our public debates, it seems that we no longer just disagree. We reject each other's premises and doubt each other's motives. We question each other's character. We block our ears to diverse perspectives. We have formed into these tribes. And there's another, even more recent, the Netflix documentary, Social Dilemma, which, please, everyone needs to watch. Like, we are a product of of some incredible things that are happening. And we can't even agree on facts anymore. You know, when when, uh, the pandemic broke, I was in Colorado. It was in uh, March 2020. And... uh, and you're like freaking out because they, they just canceled the, the basketball tournament and I'm out there with my family and I'm trying to figure out like, do I get on a plane and fly home? Like, because we're supposed to go skiing. Do I go skiing? What do I, what do I do? And you turn on the news and it was either one of two things. Either it's just the flu, man, or it's World War Z. The, the zombies are coming for you. It was like one or the other. And you're like, click, click. I don't know what to do. Google, two polar opposites. Google, is the earth flat? (laughs) And you will find support for both arguments. How many of us have used Google as a sword to defend our tribe? How many of us have felt the need? Let me just Google that for you and send you a link that might educate you. People appreciate that. There is no doubt, let me just say this, we have, there is no doubt that foreign governments have spent money to divide us and we have fallen for it, hook, line, and sinker. We have all fallen into this. We used to have to protect ourselves from the others and it made sense when it was the tribe of Israel and they were scared of the Assyrians. Never mind that Israel was called to be a blessing to all the nations from the beginning. Jesus is ushering in a new kingdom, but we still have this knack for identifying who is the other. How do we make ourselves safe from the other? We insulate ourselves from the voices of the others. We distance ourselves from the others. We discount the other's values. They don't have values. We discount their traditions. They don't have traditions. We condemn their sin and discount our own. What tribe are you a member of this morning? Maskers? No maskers. Maskers? Anti-maskers? Vaxxers? Anti-vaxxers? Trumpers? Anti-Trumpers? Republicans? Democrats? Not political? Don't worry. We've got tribes for that. (laughs) Home delivery mothers? Hospital delivery mothers? Breastfeeders? Bottle feeders? Cat people, dog people, Android, Apple, <laughs> Mac, PC, Star Wars, Star Trek. Star Wars better. <laughs> Downtown Jacks, 
okay? I don't wanna judge you guys, but I hear what you say about the people on the other side of the ditch, okay? <laughs> but we find ourselves in these tribes defending our own positions. This is Jesus interacting literally with someone from another tribe. And in this interaction, what do we see? What they saw was a member of a competing tribe. They saw an other. They saw a morally inferior person. They saw a dog. They saw a half-breed. And who did Jesus see? A broken woman in need of rescue. We all have a limited perspective. We all are wearing these lenses. And it makes it so hard to love people the way that Jesus loved them. What can we do? Oh man, what can we do? A couple of minutes, a couple of minutes. All right, I'm gonna sum, sum this up quick. I'm gonna tell you how to vote. <laughs> right, like it's so complicated. It's so complicated. It sounds complicated anyways, right? Like what do I do? I don't wanna validate their sin. I need to, I, there's, surely I need to educate them. Surely I am called to, to improve their life with my wisdom and knowledge and links from Google. But Jesus would say it like this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the two are connected. How do you love God? You love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Well, Jesus says, love your enemy. Everyone created in the image of God. There's a quote that says, I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. I really only love God as much as the person I love the least. Who is it that you love the least? I really only love God as much as I love Joe Biden, Donald Trump, my Facebook nemesis. We all have one. Loving people that love us back is not exceptional. Loving people that are in our tribe, loving people that agree with us, that's not exceptional. Loving people that are different than us, loving people that are offensive to us, loving people just because they're people, that is exceptional. What if the followers of Jesus were known for that kind of exceptional love? What if the dialogue about Christians was, man, they believe some crazy stuff. Seriously, they believe a dude rose from the dead. They believe that God came in the form of a man and revealed this truth. It's crazy, but man, do they love each other. Man, do they love people. What if that was what we were known for? Once upon a time, once upon a time, that's what the church stood for. In sharp contrast to the bite and the devour culture of the pagan world, that's what the church stood for. And the church was irresistible and it exploded and it changed the world. Love people where they are, love them boldly. And if you really wanna go crazy, like them too. If we claim to follow Jesus, we have to follow his example. We have to acknowledge the spectacles that we're wearing. We have to recognize that we have this limited perspective and try to love people beyond that. Let's stand. And what I'd like to do, I don't know where you are. Hopefully at some point during this talk, you found some offense 
<laughs> Hopefully at some point during this talk, you found something that, that made you feel uncomfortable. So let's close our eyes and let's just consider how you responded. You know, outrage and offense is easy, but self-reflection, changing behavior, that's hard. So I wanna take some time right now for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. What person did God bring to your mind? What person were you thinking about? What voices are you listening to? You know, we listen to the voices that confirm the lenses that we wear and not the prophets who challenge it. What are you watching on TV? How has the culture of your upbringing formed your spectacles? Who are your enemies? Who did you totally lose it with last year? Was it love that motivated that separation? Was it love that caused that separation? What relationships did you bow out from? God, we thank you that you loved us, that you expressed your love in Jesus and that you continue to pursue us and that there is nothing that we can do to disqualify us from what you've done. Help us, help us to love the way that you have loved us. Help us to not get caught up. Help us to be honest in the way that we see ourselves and the world around us. Holy Spirit, convict us this morning. Give us strength to be able to love past the spectacles that we've worn and set us free to love others. Jesus' name.